Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We're heading into a special segment, which, uh, as you know, this week we're talking about work uh, and the return to work for a lot of people heading back to quote unquote normal, um, you know, following the pandemic. It's going to be different for everybody. I understand that. And normal is probably not the best word, but it's normal ish, right? Um, so we've talked about quiet quitting. We've talked about, you know, having a nice, comfortable work environment for everybody when they do come back. Today, we're going to be talking about something else, a bigger picture situation. We talked a lot about this over the recent months is the fact that we've got record low unemployment in this country, and we've got a lot of industries, a lot of businesses that are really, really struggling to find enough staff to, to operate and to keep the doors open as much as they would like. Uh, we've seen a big shift in our labor market throughout the course of the pandemic. So what's going on? We're going to find out. We're going to chat now with Brittany Fior. Brittany is an economist with the Labor Market Information Council. Brittany, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Um, now, is it possible to track? I mean, is, is there a way of knowing, like when we see, I think primarily most of us think, you know, uh, hospitality, food, accommodation, things like that. They're really having a hard time. Is it possible to put a number to how many people have left those industries and where they went? Can we track that? So it's kind of a complicated question because it's not just people leaving certain sectors. It's a pre-existing demographic shift that's been happening since before the pandemic. So there's a mix of people leaving jobs that were traditionally lower paying, unstable hours, but the pandemic really highlights that for more stable jobs or going back to school. But there's also accelerated retirement rates during the pandemic. So there's more people retiring than we might have expected who were maybe close to the edge of retiring, which leaves a lot of job openings. But there is a increase in job vacancies across all sectors, which means it's not just a labor shortage, it's also a skills shortage. So in an industry like accommodation of food services, there are a lot of low skill positions. So you might say, oh, there's not enough people applying to the jobs. That's a labor shortage. In other industries, such as nursing and healthcare, you need a certain skill set in order to do those jobs. So if there is no one applying with those skills, that's a skill shortage. And they have different solutions. So you might have heard people saying, wages need to go up. Wages can attract a larger pool of workers. That's great. But if those aren't skilled workers in that sector, then wages aren't going to be enough. We need workers who can also do the jobs. Well, I mean, and, and then you get into the conversation of we need more skilled workers. So how do we address that? We've heard talk about increasing capacity at post-secondary institutions, temporary foreign workers, fast-tracking immigration, things like that. And I imagine all of those are possible ways to help this, right? Yeah, those are all possible ways to help. There's also on the business side, if I am running a company and I can't find skilled workers for some position, 
I can also try and incorporate on-the-job training to increase the skills of the workers I already have to fill those positions. So there's a lot of different routes. Some of them are long-term. Some of them are more short-term, such as on-the-job training. But there are a lot of different paths for both increasing the skills of the people who are already in the labor force working and attracting skills such as uh, promoting more post-secondary education or bringing in skilled immigrants. Within a sector, it needs to be somewhat targeted. So, for example, we've seen a lot of talk of bringing in more healthcare workers from abroad because it takes a long time to train new nurses. What about, um, and I, I don't know how true this is, but I've seen a lot of anecdotal evidence, stories at least, where people say that we've seen a lot of people who were thinking about retiring, were contemplating retiring, and the pandemic just sort of sped that up, and now they are retired. Is there a way to possibly hold on to some of those skilled, experienced, trained workers that were in the workforce, somehow lure them back? So that's definitely happened. There's been a lot more retirement. And luring back retired workers is a very tempting way to fill those skilled positions and just to increase the pool of the labor force. So we have noticed that the labor force participation rate and employment rate of people between 55 and 64, which is the largest group of potential retirees that can still work in the labor force, is about at where it was before the pandemic. The issue that I think is maybe missed a little bit is to say, yes, they're participating at whatever rate, but the population of individuals over that age, so over 55, has increased a lot. So whereas in the past, we might say, well, increasing the participation rate or employment rate in that age only increases the labor force X amount, it's actually much more relevant now because there's such Uh, large increase in the population for those individuals. And then, as I'm sure you maybe talked about in other segments or will, job quality is very important. Sure, yeah. So if you're trying to attract workers who have once retired or are a bit older, might be more likely to have caregiving responsibilities of the spouse or grandchildren who might simply not want to work full-time because they've chosen to retire, need to be more accommodating to what a quality work environment looks like to those people if you want to attract them to come back, which may include working part-time, some more part-time work. So what's what's the timeline here, Brittany? I mean, obviously we're into a new reality here. Is it permanent? Is this going to be going forward? We have to reevaluate how we manage our labor, our workforce, really? Or is this a temporary reaction to the pandemic and things will get back to quote-unquote normal in two years, five years, ten years? It is more of a long-run story. It was something that is driven by demographics a lot, especially aging population. But the pandemic changed the story a bit Mm -hmm. because it did allow people to shift from lower-paying jobs into new careers and to go back to school. So that's a different edge that was put onto it. But it's something that we still need to work really hard on thinking about how to measure a shortage, how to see... Um, whether or not there's expected responses within the labor market. For example, we haven't seen much of a move in wages in response to the tight labor market that we would expect. So next week when the new data for the second quarter of this year comes out, that's something people will be looking at, as well as what kind of policies are introduced to address 
skill shortage shortages specifically because that is a more widespread problem. Skill shortages tend to affect whole sectors, whereas labor shortages tend to affect businesses and sort of small groups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Great insight. Brittany, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us.